you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. What constitutes a good life? Why do some people thrive on change and variety? What does a rancher do in his spare time? Join us today to hear some surprising answers to those questions. I was trying to take the lunch count before the little gal came around to pick it up. And all of a sudden, I hear a little toy car being rolled at very high speed towards the blackboard. It hit the wall under the blackboard, bounced around and came to a stop. I looked up, looked over at the car and I said, you have about three seconds to get up here and get that car before it disappears. Man, there was a scramble from this one kid and he come banging up (laughs) there, grabbed that car and went back to his desk said thank you and that solved a lot of problems right there but i was hooked this is the podcast where we discuss the path to innovation and the good life over the last year we've spoken with lawyers ceos top-tier researchers world-class educators and other successful individuals in today's episode we're exploring a different facet of success the ability to adapt Our guest today has tried, failed, and succeeded at more types of careers than any 10 individuals combined. Yet with the recent job statistics, it appears that students entering the job market in the next few years may have similar experiences. Recently, my friend Dan Miller, who's been on our podcast, shared with me that the average amount of time at a given job has now dropped below three years. That means that over the course of a 40-year career, Today's students are likely to have worked at more than 12 different jobs. What if these graduating students took the chance with today's fast-changing job market to find out what they truly love as they crawled their way around the different opportunities? Today's guest shares the experiences of a lifetime of different opportunities from performing weddings to being a radio personality and everything in between. Let's listen in and find out more about Brent Gill. My guest today is Brent Gill. Brent has a 65-acre farm. He's got cows and horses. He's been married 50 years. He's a notary. Uh, He's been a contractor for Cal Fire. He performs weddings. He writes a column in the Porterville Recorder. He did 22 years in radio and 10 years as a teacher. And he started off uh, in electronics and migrated into computers and eventually to assembler programming in his time there as a teacher back in the 80s. And that's kind of how we got to know Brent. I know Brent through my wife, who had Brent as her first computer teacher back in the 1980s. So, Brent, tell us how you ended up doing all these things. (laughs) Well, like most people, Steve, it was a simple matter of I needed a paycheck. Uh, you know, it's it's something that I had a degree in 
accounting. I never really was that terribly excited about being an accountant. You know, uh, green eye shades and, and uh, big spreadsheets are not my idea of a great afternoon. <laughs> but but uh, I got an opportunity to, or a need, maybe I better say I, I had a need, to uh, create a paycheck. And something came up and there was an opportunity to substitute. And I substituted in a nearby elementary school in a little town called Strathmore. And I was in a classroom of, I believe they were probably 10 or 11-year-olds, so that would be, what, fifth grade, something like that. And there was several instances where I had to exert my parental authority, if you will, in the classroom, which makes things real interesting on a substitute. And one of the little adventures that happened to me, I was trying to take the lunch count because that was the responsibility of the teacher to get that lunch count up on the hook before the little gal came around to pick it up. And all of a sudden, I hear a little toy car being rolled at very high speed towards the blackboard. It hit the wall under the blackboard, bounced around, and came to a stop. I looked up, looked over at the car, and I said, you have about three seconds to get up here and get that car before it disappears. Man, there was a scramble from this one kid, and he come banging up (laughs) there, grabbed that car, and went back to his desk, said, thank you. And that that solved a lot of problems right there. But I was hooked. When we went out for PE, I don't know, sometime in after lunch, and as we were walking back from having been outside with my particular class and kind of overseeing and watching their play, and I don't remember whether we were playing dodgeball or something, I don't know, you know, one of those kind of days. And as I'm walking back, all of a sudden, I felt this little hand come up into mine, and I looked down, and here was a little gal in a very washed but clean dress, a little ribbon in her hair, and she looked up at me, and she said, I like you, Mr. Gill. I was hooked, Steve. I, I, from then on, I, I have always enjoyed kids. It was obvious the child had wonderful taste. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's those little experiences like that that, that make our lives, you know, and, and uh, truly that was it. I taught for 10 and a half years. I left teaching because I had ability in other areas, and the state of California passed something called a misassignment law. And uh, when they came around and edited the school district or audited, I'm sorry, not edited. Yeah, well, they may have edited it, too, for all I know. (laughs) But they audited the school district and they found my credential. Within nine days, I was out of work, unpaid and unemployed. And I was out of teaching. And, uh, you know, it was a little disconcerting. And then, you know, just things happen. But, you know, I've, I've discovered that Things seemed to happen for a reason, and and I had finished that particular task and moved on to doing a lot of others. So how did you end up in radio? Well, as you can tell, I have a big mouth, and I talk a lot. 
And I honestly don't remember exactly what it was, but, oh, I do too. No, I do too. A gentleman by the name of Monty Moore came to Porterville and bought a radio station, KTIP, and he came one day to speak at, I believe it was Kiwanis, and I was a Kiwanis member, and uh, Monty was there. We talked a little bit, and Monty heard my voice as I was talking, and he asked me if I'd ever done any radio. Uh, gee, no, but would you be interested, because I knew, know the area, know the people, et cetera, et cetera. He said, would you be interested in doing the uh, Veterans Day parade for us? Well, gee whiz, wow, I never thought about something like that. That might be kind of fun. So I did. I did the Veterans Day parade one year, and I put all the uh, what I saw in front of me on the radio so that you could see what I was seeing and enjoy the music and all of that good stuff. When I took all of the equipment back to the radio station, uh, as I was hauling it in, Monty says, you got a minute? Why don't you sit down? So we talked a minute, and he said, Brent, I've had an idea for a show, like a swap meet on the air. And uh, he said, if you'd like to put that together, I think you would be very good at that. Well, that was the dawning of something called the KTIP Traders Market. And I did that show for 22 years and four months, every Saturday morning, except a few, very few times. And uh, I still remember the sensation of sitting in front of the mic and not necessarily feeling very good. Maybe I was sick with a little flu bug or a cold or something, and I'm kind of, <laughs> well, you know, here we go. And when NBC News went off at 8.05, I would reach down and slap open the mic or the switch and pot it up, turn the volume up, and all of a sudden I would say, well, good morning, everybody, and how are you this morning? This is the K-Tip Traders Market. And I would think to myself, where did that emotion, that come from? <laughs> because I didn't feel that way 10 seconds ago. you know. And, and I can still remember that. It kind of gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because – you know, when you do something that long, it's it's still a kind of a fun thing to think about. Well, so with this perspective on noodling your way through uh, some different experiences to get some very interesting employment uh, throughout life, let's back up a little bit because I'm actually curious about your experience in school. What what do you remember from elementary school, middle school, and high school? Well, you know, the sad part about it is I was an extremely lazy student. I had ability. I had native intelligence. But I quite often didn't really want to bother to use it. I, well, I, let's put it this way. I graduated from junior high. I graduated from high school. But the only gold I saw were in my teeth. They were never hung around my neck. You know, if I had an A grade, there was something wrong. You know, it was B and C time uh, for, for me in school. I went to Bakersfield College for three semesters. And like a lot of kids, Steve, when I got away from home, away from the parental influence, to say things went south would be being polite about it. I had a very, very consistent grade point in college the first time. It went down every semester. 
I wouldn't want to admit that I got thrown out of Bakersfield College, but when I went home for the Christmas break after the third semester, I got a very curt message on paper that I wasn't going to be allowed to re-enroll in the spring semester. So I went, came home. I worked on the ranch for a while. Needless to say, my parents were not really impressed with my, my <laughs> skills. And knowing that I wasn't an unintelligent young man, but I was just flat lazy. Oh, man, about May, I believe, somewhere, maybe late April, a friend of mine, his draft number came up, and he got drafted into the Army. And all of a sudden, here I am at home. I'm not going to school anymore. I'm now eligible for the draft. And I'm going, you know, I think I really would rather not get caught in the draft. I think I need to make some choices. My brother had been in the Coast Guard. To make a long story short, on July 6th, I was or 7th, I'm sorry, I was uh, sworn into the United States Coast Guard as a seaman recruit, and I went to Alameda. After nine months, we got through boot camp, did all that stuff. I, I was working uh, on the base up there trying to figure out what school I was going to go to. And I got an opportunity to go to electronics technician school back in Groton, Connecticut. And about the same time, the young lady that I had been dating since she was just before she was a freshman, I was a junior when we met, she and I decided that we really wanted to get married before I got into the service so that when I got a duty station, if it was possible, she could come back and join me wherever I was on whichever coast it was. So we had a, a big family wedding here in Porterville, and we went on a two-week honeymoon, a week of running around doing some things and looking the country over, and then she had to get back to work as an AT&T operator in L.A., and uh, we stayed in a motel and enjoyed each other's company while we had the time. I got on a red-eye flight to Connecticut, and I told her before I went that I had completely messed up school when I had done it before. And that it was, it was one of those things that you come to the realization that, you know, it might be a good idea if you grew up. And <laughs> so when I, I told her, when I went back to Connecticut, this is it. This is where I'm going to make it. You know, I've got I've to concentrate on this school. And I knew that electronic school was not going to be just a big piece of cake. So I, I had to get in and, and get serious about it. After about six weeks, I realized that this was something well within the scope of my knowledge and, and ability. And I called her and told her that she could come back. And so for my birthday, my parents gave her an airline ticket back. And for her birthday, and you'll love this. You remember the old Corvairs, Steve? You remember what they yeah. looked like? Okay. Yes. I had a Corvair with what we used to laughingly call twice pipes. It had stack pipes on it. It roared like, like a truck. And my parents drove this car from Springville to Connecticut. Oh, wow. <laughs> all packed with stuff that my wife had packed in there so that we could set up housekeeping back in Connecticut. And then they flew home. 
And uh, uh, I did. I got through uh, electronic school after uh, six months. Well, let's see, six months. Halfway through, I got an opportunity to transfer over to aviation electronics. I went to radio school for a month back there in, in the school. And I uh, went through the radio school for a month, went down to Elizabeth City, North Carolina with my wife. And uh, we set up housekeeping in uh, North Carolina went through the aviation electronics, and uh, I really wanted to get the 12th Coast Guard District, which is San Francisco, but there were other plans afoot, and I got the 11th Coast Guard District, which was San Diego. So we drove from Elizabeth City, North Carolina, when I finished school across country to San Diego, and uh, set up housekeeping down there, and I actually was discharged from the Coast Guard in San Diego after three years, 10 months, 11 days, and two hours of military service. <laughs> Debbie didn't say that you'd spend any time in North Carolina. That's where I'm from. I grew up back there in Western Carolina, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, we were at Elizabeth City along the Albemarle River. Wow. So after you got discharged, what was the path from there to getting into teaching? Ah, well, I got out early because my father and my brother had both been injured somewhat severely on the same day in two different separate accidents with horses or raising, working cattle. So I got out, uh, I don't know, it was about four days later, and I had my uh, DD-214, and I was on my way home. And so I came home and worked on the ranch for a while. And as I worked on the ranch, I decided that maybe it might not be a bad idea for me to go back to college now because I'm now married and have a child and I'm working on the ranch. And, and you know, I, I think it might be a good idea if I got a degree. So I went back to school. To make a long story short, I finally got a degree in accounting with a, a business and public administration with a concentration in accounting from Cal State Bakersfield. Did that in 1975. Of course, like a lot of kids, I never worked as an accountant. I did several things. I got a job with uh, Dean Witter as a stockbroker, like to starve to death in that business. And it was shortly after that that uh, we decided that maybe it would be a real good idea if I tried teaching. And uh, that got me started. And, and uh, I got the little hand in my hand and I was hooked on teaching, and I got a long-term sub at Porterville High School, and that turned into a full-time job. So I'd like to ask you a question. We don't ask this very often, but uh, you've had an opportunity to have a lot of life lived. What is a good life? Wow. That's an interesting question, Steve. What is a good life? You know, it's interesting because some of the, the questions that you and your staff had posed to me before gave me a little pause that I don't have a successful business. I have a degree in business and public administration and, and concentration in accounting and never used it. It's kind of like some of this stuff was not very successful, but and I'm trying to think how to word this. That's a boy, that's a good one. You know, a good life is one in which you can shave yourself in the mirror with the light on you like who you are, and I have to say, and you have a relationship with a woman that loves you in spite of any and all shortcomings. That's about as, as close as I can get to what is a good life. When you started teaching, mm -hmm. 
you had that opportunity to have that that little girl reach up and and you know i mean the first time a a, a kid does that and you feel a mm-hmm. sense of ownership whether it's your own kids or you know as a teacher that's just a great good feeling inside mm-hmm. what are some of the other aspects of your life that you might fold into that good life like what are some of the other things that you've experienced in life that you would throw into that good category you know i have to go back to all the way back to to high school because well as a as a freshman i got into the portable high school panther band and i played clarinet somewhere in there uh the band director got me over on to bass clarinet and a little like my educational experience, my music experience was marginal. I was a marginal musician. I was good enough to be a member of the band, but I certainly was never very spectacular or good. But one of the things that I got to do was I got to try out for and was selected to become the drum major. And I spent... Uh, in fact, the summer before I met my wife, Sharon, earlier that summer, I had been selected to be the drum major the next year. And after I met her, I went to a drum major camp to learn how to be a good drum major. And ultimately, I learned that there was a uh, trophy awarded to the master drum major or the champion drum major. And I went back the next year, and I was given the trophy and brought that home. That was one of the, is that fair to say, one of the first big successes. In the meantime, I was dating this gorgeous blonde lady that was a high school sophomore. And and, uh, as I graduated from high school, I think it was the summer that I was going to be a senior. I had gone down to Long Beach to teach in a drum majoring class because I was reasonably good at it. And on the way home, my mother, to strike up conversation, said, well, did you meet any really nice young ladies at camp? Of course, you know, the gals that go to this kind of camp are always pretty good looking ladies and, and uh, they're a little, they're outgoing and all that. So we were all kind of the same thing. I said, yeah, there were, a f-. and my poor mother just about drove off the road when I said this because I said, well, yeah, but I think I found the one I'm looking for. And mother, here I'm, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be a senior. And my mother is kind of, you know, one of those inhaling half the air in the car. And, <laughs> you know, we were falling in love very much. And we literally grew up together and uh, a successful life of 50 years with the same woman without being shot or thrown out, that's a, a pretty good success rate. I would have to agree with that. If, if I can make it 50 years with my wife without being thrown out or shot, I think that would be good. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, think, I think she's already considered it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I know Debbie, you're in for the straight and narrow, my friend. <laughs> yes, that's definitely true. Well, I didn't mean to get off the topic there. One of the things that I'm, you know, just looking back across all these different experiences you've had, I mean, you have to spend a little bit of time to learn some of these things. And that begs the question that I always like to ask here on the podcast, because now we have all these digital tools out there. There's so much out there in the world. What does it mean in today's environment to be educated? What does that word educated mean? 
It's interesting that you ask a question like that because the definition of being educated has gone in my lifetime from someone who paid attention in school, got a diploma or got a degree, and then you were considered educated. Today, it's a completely different ballgame. A person who holds a baccalaureate degree of any form comes out of that institution with knowledge of a certain type, but they don't have the ability to take what they have learned in school and walk into a technical job and say, I've got everything I need to do this job. What seat do you want me to sit at? Today, that baccalaureate degree means to the person who is hiring them, Yes, they have a, a, a degree of, of knowledge, no question. And, you know, I'm, I'm not downplaying that. But what it really means is that person has the stick to to stay with something long enough to get a degree. If I hire that person, I have a better chance of getting them to learn what I need them to do to fill a job position in my business or my need for employee than uh, a person who does not have a degree. So the, the baccalaureate degree is a good place to start. A master's degree, a, a terminal degree, a doctorate degree, of course, that's a little different ballgame. Then you begin to get into the specifics. And, and not every kid is able for a variety of reasons, to get a baccalaureate degree, even a two-year associate in arts degree. Not every kid is cut out to put their fanny in a seat and stick there for four years. So many kids in the last 15 years have been shoved towards college and not headed for wood shop or metal shop or ag mechanics <laughs> or, you know, some of them aren't cut out for college yet. Many of them will get there, but they may do what I did and discover that what they have done so far is not sufficient. Now I have to put out more effort. I think, Steve, the two greatest things that I took out of high school, the two greatest skills, I took a full year of personal typing and became a pretty good typist, and I took ag mechanics and learned to weld with an arc welder and cut with an acetylene torch. And those two skills, the welding and the typing, are the two skills that I truly carried out of high school with some ability and have used as an adult because I write a column, I write on a, uh, an iPad, I type on a daily basis. You know, so to be educated is to get enough basic world knowledge you got to know the three r's you got to be able to add two and four and come up with something more than five you've got to be able to communicate with reasonable skill verbally hopefully writing but not everybody's going to go to college and one of the things that i think the schools have failed in is that they have minimized the education of young people in woodworking, welding, 
metal shop, a home ec. These areas of practical education, but to be educated with what we have today. And you mentioned Wikipedia, and I never cease to be amazed. Somebody will ask a question, and the first thing I do is I grab my iPad and I go online <laughs> and I go into the top line and I type in a phrase or two or three words, and I can look up an amazing amount of information. To be educated is not to already know this, but know how to find it. And, and you can do that if you are a welder, if you're a carpenter, or you're a dentist. You can look it up. And, and that, I think, is as important as anything we can get across to kids. It's available if you need the information. So what is the purpose of an education then i mean if if we can all the, now go out and find the information and it's important for us then to be able to to process that or to find it what is the purpose then of an education why do we educate mm -hmm. well steve if we if we go back to the high school elementary school high school level that is an education that is definitely an education just being there's an education but to exercise the brain cells to learn what skills you do have you have to be stretching them you have to be using them you have to be struggling with trying to figure out in an algebra class what in the world does x mean etc and i think the purpose of education is to expand that brain and find out what you know and maybe learn what you don't know and possibly even more importantly what you I want to say need to know and that's not the word I'm looking for I'm trying to think of how to say this but too many kids are told you got to go to college and it is important it is important if you have the drive and the capabilities of going to college and being successful. But to go to college and fall on your face is a crime. No, it's not. It's a shame. That's better. Not a crime. But to fall on your face in college, if you are goofing off like I was, which I had the ability, wasn't any question I had the ability, I just, I had better things to do. It's called goofing off. And yet that's part of the purpose of education is if I had not basically been thrown out of Bakersfield College after three semesters, I wouldn't have had the drive when I went to the military and was going to school in Connecticut. I wouldn't have had the knowledge and the drive that it's jolly well time for me to grow up. And that is all a part of the educational process. Wow. That's a mouthful. I think we're going to wrap it up right there. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Brent, for taking some time to pull the curtain back a little bit on a well-lived life. And if our listeners are interested in uh, connecting with you or learning more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Email is Brent G, B-R-E-N-T-G, at O-C-S-N-E-T dot N-E-T. Brent G at OCSnet.net. Well, thank you, Brent. This has been a lot of fun. 
Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I'll just uh, tell you, uh, keep the door locked and keep an eye on where uh, Debbie hides that gun and you'll be all right. (laughs) I'll certainly do that. Thanks, Brent. (laughs) Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Did you enjoy today's guest? Let us know on the Tabletop Inventing Facebook page. Just type in Tabletop Inventing into your Facebook search to find us. And while you're at it, like our page. To find out more about inventor camps, after-school programs, training opportunities, and our premium innovation fellowship program for high school students, visit inventingzone.com. That's inventingzone.com. Don't wonder about the future. Sign up, and we'll help you create it. <laughs>